on today's episode of The Business of Freelancing. We talk with Boz on the Profit First methodology, being a freelancer versus a business owner, how a Profit First coach can help you on your journey, and Boz's positioning journey, how he ended up where he is today. I think you're going to love it, dear listener. On today's episode, we have Meg. Hello. We have Eric. Hi, everybody. We're joined by our special guest, Boz. Hiya. And I'm Kai. So, Boz, I'm really excited for the conversation today and diving into uh, Profit First and how you work as a Profit First coach. But before we jump into that, I'm a bit curious about the journey of your positioning. What's that journey been like? How did you end up here? Tell us a bit about that. So, um, well, I position myself, my position is uh, I help uh, coaches and consultants build a reliable, consistent business for themselves. Um, But how I ended up here, it's it's been quite a long thing. I started off as a freelance, well, I started my business in 2007, working as a freelance software developer. And I've had quite a few bends in the road along the way. I took investment, spent half a million pounds of someone else's money with nothing to show for it, which was um, a big lesson <laughs> i thought i was going to get sued but i managed to get away with it mm. um and then but because of that uh i thought uh after, we had a company where there were five of us working together and that's how we spent that much money um the guy who managed the investment he came we we said we've we've spent all your money um are you going to sue us and he said no just close the company down um and we'll say no more about it and i was like really is it but that was like half a million pounds <laughs> And um, he said, I put that much money into 10 companies every year and I only expect one of them to make a return. So the lesson there was like this this number that you think is the biggest thing in the world is actually just like a grain of sand to other people. And so I tried to take that into my pricing. So I went on this big journey. <laughs> there was two parts to it. So one, I've been working with my friends and I've gone back to working on my own. So I decided I want to I wanted to have a team around me. So I, I hired freelancers to work with me, but obviously I needed to get more money coming in. And I went on this sales journey. So that's how I first came across you, Kai, is because I was learning about value-based pricing. Um, and that me- that message about it, that number that I think is huge, actually, it's not that big to someone else if you if you frame it correctly. I got better and better at raising my prices. I got these bigger and bigger projects. I got a bigger and bigger team of freelancers working with me. And then I realized I was losing money. So um, that's when I bought the book Profit First. Um, I hit the, the, there's one rule right at the start that Mike Mikhailovich says at the beginning of the book says, make sure you do this. Don't try and do it your own way. Of course, me being me, I didn't do it the way he said. And it took me another year of losing money before I actually implemented it. Um, but um, one of the things I was doing, so again, I know you're familiar with Pipedrive. I was doing some Pipedrive consulting for people. I had a client come to me and she said, I need um, this CRM system setting up. But when I was talking to her, it became apparent that what she actually needed was her, her revenue equalizing. It was up and down, up and down. When I was um presented my proposal to her where stage one was we were going to do some email marketing. Stage two was implement pipe drive and then stage three, I can't really remember. We were sat in this cafe. I put the proposal in front of her and she burst into tears and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? And um, she was like, 
I was I didn't sleep last night because I thought I was going to have to close the business down and you showed me I've got a future and I was like this is the greatest moment of my life I want to be doing more of this so I signed up for some coaching qualifications then I got an email from Mike Mikhailovich saying I'm running this thing called Profit First Professionals would you like to join I was like that's a brilliant way for me to become a coach that's differentiated from everyone else and that was maybe 18 months ago um I've changed things around a bit more, what with the pandemic and everything, but that's how I got to from being a pure software developer to being someone who helps um, other businesses run like businesses. That's crazy cool. That is, I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, a monumental journey. Well done. <laughs> and that bit, that that moment there, that was it was like a life changing moment when she when she said that to me. I mean, it sounds like it. Like that's it's so powerful to have somebody both admit or share that vulnerability and be able to credit you and say, Wow, you showed me the path forward. Seriously, <laughs> well done. That's exciting. And so now your positioning is around uh, or is primarily focused on coaches and consultants or web developers. Tell me a bit about what that specificity looks like. Yeah. So um it's it's one of those things. So I I <laughs> And this might sound really mean, but I can say it with love because that's where I'm from. Um, I thought I would concentrate on technology freelancers because that's my background. Unfortunately, well, the problem with technology freelancers is they're very, very smart people. And because of that, they quite often believe that they don't need to learn from someone else. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> So what I've done is I've, I've what I have found is I get on really really well with coaches and people who are a bit, bit more consulting based rather than than pure um, technically based and because of that and they have the same problems they have the same things where they got into their business they got to do what they do because they love it and they're really passionate about it but they never got that framework of business education around it and so they they tend to get into get into difficulty a couple of years in uh, when the the initial passion starts to to run a bit dry the people that you work with now like what kind of like issues or challenges are they coming to work with you to help them with specifically so uh, so for example um Actually, a perfect example. She's not a client yet, but I was just speaking to her yesterday. So uh, hopefully to, later today, she's signing the contract, which would be amazing. <laughs> but um, she's a perfect example of everything I'm looking for in my clients because she's been running her business for about five years. Uh, she absolutely loves it, but she uh, there's about half her time is spent doing stuff that she hates doing. So she's really passionate about the business, but she's spending more and more time doing this, all the, the crappy stuff that she doesn't like. And um, when when I said, what would you like? So um, the, the question I like to ask is, um, if we're sat here in a year's time with big grins on our faces, because this project's been such a, such a success, uh, what would be the reason for that success? And she said, structure. And that's exactly it. So my software background comes into play there because I can give people that little step-by-step -step process, the things that they just need to, the little steps that they need to take every single day to make sure they get there. Time and time again, I see like small, consistent steps, just making sure you're doing the basic essential things, but doing it consistently, making it a habit, really be almost like the most powerful lever to move. It's not just do this one big thing. It's, well, you got to sort of change your lifestyle, change the way you think about this, change what you're doing as this baseline if you really want to see that change externalize and manifest. Yeah, definitely. And that's also that's reflected. Uh, one of the things that's happened in the last couple of months is I've changed my sales process completely. So um, 
when I started out, I thought, right, how, how do coaches sell stuff to people? And I took a load of courses, spent, wasted a lot of money on stuff that I shouldn't have spent money on. Um, and I set up the, the classic Facebook adverts, going to a webinar, going to a sales call, and then you have the script for your sales call. And it ends with, oh, you don't have that much money. Well, why don't you get into debt to get there? And <laughs> it felt awful. It felt horrible. And it wasn't me whatsoever. So what I'm doing now is I'm actually just giving away an outline of my program and saying, right, these are all the things I'm going to ask you to do. If you want to go away and do them yourself, go away and do them yourself, because it's not the knowledge that's the, the thing. It's the doing that's the thing. And I'm going to make you do it. So that's that's what I'm so, yeah, I'm selling something slightly different. What is the uh, profit first methodology in a nutshell? Like, what does that involve? So the easiest way to explain it is if you think back to the olden days, you probably your grandparents or maybe your great grandparents, they worked in a factory, they'd get paid in cash on a Friday afternoon, they would take that cash home, your your great grandma would sit there and divide it up and say, right, I'm going to put $10 in this envelope for food, $10 in this envelope for rent, $10 in this envelope for heating. And she would seal the envelopes and whatever was left over, your great granddad could then go and spend on beer because it didn't matter (laughs) if he spent all of it or none of it because all the important stuff was locked away and you had to unseal the envelope to get at it profit first is exactly that but for your business so most people don't think about their tax bill until tax time comes around most people don't think about um, if they are going to hire a freelancer or or a staff member they don't think about where the wages are going to come from until they hire them Uh, So it's all about putting money into sealed envelopes, locking it away, and then only accessing it when you really need it. And then whatever's left over, you're free to spend as as you want. One of the things we do, instead of using envelopes as well, then, so we use bank accounts for doing that. So literally, we set up multiple bank accounts. Actually, I don't know if you've got those. So in the the UK, where I'm based, um, there's a few new online banks, which have muddied the waters a little bit. But if you have actual separate bank accounts and you have to do a bank transfer between them, it's that little bit of extra friction, the same as unsealing the envelope. So if you want to spend that money, you have to go in and access it from somewhere else, uh, which and that's the step that Mike Mikhailovich says, you have to do this. If you don't do this, the system won't work. And it took me a year to get around to doing it. So again, it's the, the knowledge isn't enough. It's the doing that makes the difference. So I'm actually like in the process of um, writing this series of blog posts I'm doing kind of aimed at freelancers, the difference between being a freelancer and a business owner. And um, a lot of the people that would read this are technologists. And I think at least what I've observed is that a lot of those like freelance software engineers, for instance, struggle with uh, profit versus cost when it comes to how they pay themselves. Is the idea of profit first then um, with these different envelopes, these different bank accounts that like... I mean, I'm just inferring from the name that you make profit a first class goal of the business. It's not just the spillover when you're done that you're yeah. you're determining what your profit is going to be in advance or like how does how does that work? Yeah. So that's the, the, the core concept of it, I guess, beyond the envelopes is um, if you look at your profit and loss statement in your accounts, it's structured as you have your top line revenue, your income. Then underneath that, you have your expenses. And then the bottom line is your profit. So it's an, it's an equation, sales minus expenses equals profit. So say you make five grand, you spend four grand, you're left over with a grand. 
But if you spin that equation round, so it's sales minus profit equals expenses, mathematically, it's exactly the same. But what you're saying in your head as a human being, what you're saying is, I've made five grand, I'm reserving one grand, that leaves me four grand to spend. So it's a completely different way of approaching the same numbers. So what we're saying, so although it's called profit first, actually, the key account for especially for small businesses and for freelancers the the most important um, envelope that we're putting the money into is the owner's pay envelope because we're always going to make sure that you as both employee number one and shareholder number one we're going to make sure that you get paid and of course many freelancers they get to the end of the month and they they have to go without because they've spent it on on everything else that they've got going in right so there's like a I, I would think a fail fast element to this. If you're if you're putting profit first as the first thing you set aside, you're going to learn really quickly whether you have a viable business or whether you're like literally running yourself into debt running your business. I, I would assume. Absolutely. So yeah, one of the things again we we set up. Um, I call them the rhythms of your business, which are the the things that you do every week, that the things you do every month. And one of those, I do it weekly, and I tell my clients to do it weekly. Is you do your profit first allocations, which is you look at how much income you've had, and you move it into your different bank accounts. If your expenses account is then empty after you've done those allocations, you know that very week that your business is telling you something's not right. So you get that, you get that, every, and you can, because it happens so early, yeah, you can, t- it's fail fast, you can take action there and then, rather than waiting till three months, six months, or even when your accountant tells you, actually, you're in trouble. Rabbit holing for a second, in that sort of fail fast scenario, what do you typically advise? Is it, you know, hey, you got to cut costs here. You have to rethink your entire business model. You got to make more money. I guess what levers do you recommend pulling for somebody in that situation? So if it's, um, obviously it depends on their exact situation, but in most cases, the first thing to go is costs. And it's it's actually, you end up, so especially with technology freelancers, you end up with software subscriptions and little bits and pieces. So it's like five, $10 a month that you've completely forgotten that you're spending. So it's just a matter of going through your bank accounts and just highlighting all the stuff that actually, I do I really need this? Or is this making me money is, is another one because you might be spending a fortune on a project management system, but if is it actually... Do you need that? Is it is it making you money? Um, the one for me is I keep on hiring an office and then going, actually, what's the point? And then coming back to working from home. Right. It's a, sort of like uh, the Mary Kondo <laughs> technique of expense, <laughs> of expense cutting. <laughs> Does this spark joy? Does this bring money? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, to be fair, and the way I, um, I do it is you literally, you print out your bank statements and you sit there with highlighter pens. And the first one is green. And that's, this makes me a profit. So it might be you spent 150 quid on Facebook ads and you got 200 out of it, highlight it in green. But if you only got 90 quid out of it, then... No, you don't. And then you go over in red and then in orange. So the orange being stuff you might be able to cut a bit in the future. So that might be a rent or whatever. I love that process of going through the statements and just sort of like a literally color coding it to see what's yeah. working and what isn't. I, I previously I've heard about a riff on that where it's basically how guilty do you feel about this purchase or how much <laughs> enjoyment do you get? Like maybe somebody listening or mean specific. It's like, oh, you know, every week I might spend 20 or 30 bucks on coffee. 
And while it could be like, eh, does this really, you know, help the shareholders of Kaiko make more money? No, but it's something that might spark joy for me. Oh, I get to walk to the coffee shop, have a coffee, think about it. I, I, I guess either approach or both approaches together, I really like as a way of looking at your expenses more than, oh God, I'm spending too much money on this. Well, does it help yeah. you make money? Do you enjoy it? I think those are very valuable things to ask oneself. Absolutely. And, and actually, yeah, the word there is value. Is, uh, is If you're spending the money on that coffee and you love that coffee, then it's worth having. So one of the things that I've um, encountered, I guess the reason I had mentioned writing a blog post series is because, you know, I have a blog and a following and I've kind of transitioned from <laughs> working for myself um, or from being an employee to working for myself to now running a business. And I've learned some lessons along the way. And um there seems to be, you know, I don't know, um, some mismanagement or trouble, I, I guess, reasoning about things, especially in the early going, maybe for freelancers, there's some like imitating there. So for instance, to, to make this a little bit more concrete, I'm a freelancer. I hear on podcasts, they talk about doing this thing where you hire a VA to help you with stuff. I guess I should do that. Um, and so I'm teeing up this question here. If you're kind of putting aside some things first and then you have this envelope with expenses in it, do you find that this methodology really helps you answer questions like, does it make business sense for me to hire a VA? So does it become as simple for that freelancer as looking and saying, hey, is there money pooling in my expenses envelope or not? Uh, does that make sense? Like, am I asking a coherent yes. question here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, it absolutely does because it is. It's literally Mike Mikhailovitz in the book. He calls it bank balance accounting. So what you should do is you should look at your accounts package and you should look at your cash flow forecast and go, does it make sense for me to hire a VA? But none of us ever do that. What we do is we pull out our phone, we look at our online banking app and say, oh, I've got five hundred dollars in there, and when you do it that way and you see the amount in your um, expenses account is going up and up and up every week, then you know that you've got money to spend. If it's going down and down and down, you know you haven't got money to spend. Now, with uh, hiring someone, one of the things I recommend to my clients is we actually set up a new bucket, a new envelope specifically for wages. So what you do is you might run, you might put, say, 10% or 15% or whatever of your income into this wages bucket every week because what you're doing then is you're training the business to run on less expenses so you've got less money to spend because you're pre-allocating it and you can see how that feels see if it's viable in 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 real terms and then when you do come to pull the trigger and hire someone what you've actually got is you've got three months or six months of wages already backed up as well so you've got a buffer just in case you do hit some hard times and you don't have to sack them straight away. <laughs> it is a little different getting rid of a, a SaaS subscription than it is. Sorry, person, I can't afford your services anymore. There's a little yeah. bit more <laughs> commitment or emotional weight to that decision. So. <laughs> yeah. It's, I really like that because, I mean, when I think about our business um, that we have, the content business, when we first started hiring employees, the way I went out to provide stability is I just kind of projected, all right, here's our monthly revenue, here's our expenses, there's a delta here, I think we can afford this. But what I did is I went and got a business line of credit, and that was my buffer. I probably would have felt a whole lot better had a bunch of money in a bank account in my buffer instead of debt. Um, so I, I think that's a really powerful strategy. Absolutely, yeah. Especially if you if you actually have to call on it. <laughs> yeah, we locked out there, so uh, that was uh... yeah. 
<laughs> well, that's one of the, that, that's why, why I got into profit first in the first place was I, I didn't. Keen on that for a couple of moments. I'm curious, are there scenarios where profit first just does not make sense for somebody? Like, is there a listener who should know, hey, if you are experiencing A or B, kind of want to look in a different direction or does this apply pretty universally to any business out there? Um, the one where it doesn't fit at all is if you've had investment. Because the reason the investor has invested in you is because they want fast growth. And profit first is about slow growth. It's about making sure you stay within your means. And sort of by definition, investment is a huge um, a load of debt. Whether you, How you pay that back is either by sacrificing control or by actually sacrificing part of your company. But it is, it's a huge load of debt. And profit first is all about avoiding debt. So, yeah, so in that case, um, especially in the tech world where they, they get all these companies where they go for market share and make a massive loss and then hope to make it up further down the line, yeah, profit first is a no for that. Absolutely mm. not. Tell us a bit more about, I guess, the ideal scenario or uh, uh, why it makes sense for somebody to do profit first this way instead of just staying with the old methods. Is it more security, more insight, more intentionality? Um, it's all those things, really. So the, the key thing is because it's such a simple system and because it's built on this rhythm and, and these habits, it's one of those things it just becomes. So it's it's kind of um, part. Of, so I used to do budgeting. I used to use like um, like you need a budget and all those kind of budgeting apps where you'd, you'd look at your income and you'd set yourself categories and then you'd record what you were spending and then you'd see if you'd gone over on one category, you'd like berate yourself and you'd have a go at yourself and you go like, I'm such an idiot. And then within three months, you were going over on all the categories because actually that that way of doing things, that trying to change your internal behavior doesn't work. Whereas with profit first, the idea is because you're it's your habit anyway to just look at your bank balance on your phone and see you've got $500 in there that $500 is safe to spend. So it doesn't matter if you spend it or not. So it's working with the, the behaviors that you've already got ingrained within you. And it's just amplifying them and taking them to a different level. So the difficult bit is setting up the accounts in the first place and then getting into the habit of doing the the the, the allocations. But once those, those little rhythms are in place, and they're only small things, the, the, the bank accounts obviously it takes a couple of hours to do that. And then it might take you 15 minutes every week to do the allocations. Once you've got into those bits, then the rest of it all just sort of almost magically falls into place. And that's the advantage of it. It's always amazing to me how much the tiny bit of friction of having separate accounts and needing to move money between them really does act as a barrier. Like I've always thought similar to what you alluded to at the top of the call, Eh, you just keep it in one account, you're fine. But when it's literally, even if it's just like clicking a couple buttons in a web interface or on your phone, it takes this additional level of intentionality. I am doing this action. I'm not just spending. I am moving this money from one bucket to another. And that often gives me enough pause just to stop and think about it and say, well, maybe I'll do this anyways, but I'm going to sleep on it first. I'm going to see if there's another option out there. Always amazes yeah. me. Uh, you, you're telling yourself, I'm doing something that I've already told myself I don't want to do. <laughs> you, mm -hmm. you, yeah, you're bringing it to your attention. It's like a little red flag for yourself. If, you know, if we're talking about freelancers out there that are listening, um, maybe new freelancers or uh, longtime solo practitioners or what have you, and they find this intriguing, is the profit first methodology something 
that is um, better or exclusively done, I guess, with coaching? Or would you recommend it as a reasonable path for them to just go buy the book, read it, implement these things? And I guess if that can be a reasonable path for some, where's the point where you might need coaching? Is it a question of like scale or scope or like, you know, who can kind of self-direct versus who should get some help? Yeah, so I did it myself. Um, it, as I say, I did it wrong, and then I did it right the, the second time round. Uh, and it's it's a very very simple system, and um, it's not hard to implement yourself once you get over yourself. But sometimes we need that push to get over ourselves. Sometimes we need someone just to hold us on track, and that's what where the the coaching part comes in. So for some people, yeah, you can go out, you can do it yourself if you. If you trust yourself to stick to it, uh, and if you can get over that initial hurdle, I'm pretty sure you can trust yourself to stick to it. Then, yeah, you you can do it yourself. And that, that's one of the the great things about it. It's, it's like um, it's like uh, everybody knows the way to be successful in business is to um, buy low, sell high. The knowledge is is isn't isn't the the the, the important bit to some is the actually doing it and figuring out the the steps to get there. So sometimes. It's nice to have someone just to give you a little prod and make sure that you do it. Yeah, in in and of itself, it's not necessarily. I've I've read the book myself, um, and uh, I haven't implemented the system yet. But uh, <laughs> I, I I know that like there is that initial resistance to this. Is, it's if this was the only thing that was on my plate for the day, sure. <laughs> you know, but there's that <laughs> you, as a business owner, like you know, we've got all these things taking on our mental capacity, and it, it there is that a bit of a uh, even if the steps are simple, sometimes there is some emotional resistance or just um, you're just, comp- you know, f- sometimes a couple couple complicating factors. I know for myself, I'm, I deal in uh, two different currencies. So there's a couple of additional accounts to set up, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is interesting. And then it's how do I explain this to my accountant? <laughs> <You> know, <so> yeah. <laughs> it's 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 I'm I'm understanding the concept of maybe somebody like as a coach like yourself is a good idea to help like, okay, when you come up against that barrier, let's yeah. get over this. <laughs> Speaking of which, do accountants and CPAs um, or bookkeepers, do you get pushback from people? Like, so if, if I went out and said, Hey, we're going to do this, we have um, enough folks working for us, you know, a CPA firm um, that we retain. And then there's somebody that keeps the books that isn't me. Do you get pushback from parties if if it's a bigger business um, when you're doing this coaching that are resistant to it, or, or you know, how does that typically go? So um, I've, I've I, so I tend to work with quite small businesses, so that, that I've not had that from the business themselves, but I have spoken about it to accountants, and some of them are like that will never work, and. It's almost like you can see this fear in their eyes because part of it is it's taking it's it's changing the nature of their job. Um, so a big part of it is, as far as I'm concerned, what what happens with profit first is you're now just dealing with cash. You're not dealing with ledgers and you're not dealing with allocating money um, the way the the law tells you to allocate it. You're dealing with it allocating it the way that you need it. And so for a lot of accountants, I think that takes a um, it's not. It sounds a bit mean and, and not really right. It's, it doesn't take away the power, but it takes away a bit of the mystique of what they do to some extent because you, you're learning to look after yourself. And then what I rely then on my accountant to do is at year end to take all these buckets of cash and then make them add up for the for the legal purposes, for compliance. So I'm giving them a different job, in a sense. 
Interesting. Is it is it typically a reduced job? Like um, somebody goes and implements this, do they need to pay an accountant less for those year-end entries or like some of the things they do? Uh, might it reduce somebody's spend on accountants? Uh, possibly, yeah. So um, certainly I'm, I'm re- recommending that to one of my clients, although they use their accountant for all their bookkeeping as well. And actually we're, we're moving all that uh, into cloud-based software. So it will takes all the bank feeds and stuff like that so it's taking that part of out of it but um what i found so most of the other profit first professionals across the world a big chunk of them are accountants who are realizing that their job is changing and so they're using profit first as a value add so in that nature way it's definitely changing the 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 nature of accounting When, when it comes to that shift in the nature of accounting what's driving that improved access to you know online banking these tools shifts in the way people are doing work i guess what's adding up to the shift yes yeah, so i think it's, it's exactly that it's the, part of it is yeah the, the whole role of a bookkeeper is going out of the window because it's become that automated bank feed and you just it even it most of the time my system will will tell me what all the money that's going in and out of my accounts is without me having to do anything all i need to do is approve it so that whole part of it's gone completely. And then your accounts package, now that it knows what categories, which ledgers each piece of money belongs to, then it can also calculate your tax returns and all that stuff for you. So in the UK, we have VAT, which is our version of sales tax. It's a little bit different, but um, that used to be something that every accountant used to have to do for you every quarter. Now it's literally, I just click one button and not only is it submitted, but it's paid automatically. Um, so what used to be a two week job is now like a 10 second job. So whole swathes of what accountants used to do is just going because of the technology. Thinking about sort of like the journey into and through this profit first transition, are there any common stumbling blocks that people run into? I guess, where does like say a month or two months into this, where does the friction tend to show up? Where does the pain start to show up? Um, so, so well, the way I do things is I've got a particular, a, a, we sort of front load everything. So we the first month and a half is all about getting answers and understanding where you're at and then putting together an action plan to do it. Once that that part is done, then actually the rest of it is pretty simple. The only, the, the main sticking points after that happen if something unexpected happens if there's like um like well like like what's just happened (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) and what happens then is and i've seen this with two of my clients and this happened with myself about 18 months ago where when suddenly you have a massive drop in revenue you panic and you start to think actually i can't afford to do the profit first system i'm just gonna spend all the money that's coming into my business and in many ways, it's, 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 if you need to do that, you need to do that. But you need to get back on track as quickly as possible as well. Um, because obviously, by doing that, you're actually damaging your business longer term. Reminds me in a sense of like doing a diet. Like, ideally, you're eating less than it. If you want to lose weight, you're eating less than your body needs. But sometimes life throws craziness at you. You're on a big trip and you break the diet. That doesn't mean the diet's done forever. It means you say, hey, this was fun. Time to get back on track. Similarly with Profit First, there might be those weeks or there months where, hey, revenue's dropped to make it through this. I need to pay myself less for these expenses. 
but that doesn't mean moving forward. You should always be like paying yourself a dollar. You should be writing the ship once you're able to, but the small blip doesn't destroy the system. Am I reflecting that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's not even it's uh, so it might be dipping into your tax account just on the uh, and the hope that you'll make it up further down the line. Yes, I guess that's like yeah, uh, sneaking a, a bit of extra cake or something. Mm-hmm. So I have kind of a almost an ancillary question, but I think it's something you're well suited to address. And I've, I've heard a lot of uh, freelancers kind of say, "Why would I distinguish between what I pay myself, like salary?" And profit, like, isn't everything so? So I have this uh, business. I'm a freelancer. Um, I have a handful of expenses, but then I bill a hundred bucks an hour. Isn't everything that it doesn't go to expenses? Isn't that just all profit? So, um, number one, why might you say that's not true? Like, if you were talking to these people, and two, like, what's the importance of distinguishing? I guess between call it profit and salary. Um, you know, because I think a lot of people listening are in this boat. Like, uh, I have a handful of expenses, but mostly it's just billable hours, so it's all profit, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, I'm curious about your take on that subject. So, yeah, so the, the different, and, and it comes down to: Do you see yourself as running a business, just a very small business, or do you see yourself as working as a freelancer? Because working as a freelancer, yeah, you're just basically paying yourself. You're, you're just earning money. Uh, it happens to be earning money for several clients instead of a single employer. But uh, you are just earning money. Whereas if you're running a business, by, by paying yourself a salary, you're saying you're part of the costs of that business. And you're, you're a fixed cost. And you're going to make sure that that cost is dealt with. But you're also putting money aside as profit because you've actually got two roles in a business. You're employee number one, the most important employee, but you're also shareholder number one. So not only are you an employee who's doing the work, but you're the shareholder who's taking the risks. And the profit is your reward for taking the risks. And that's a different thing. And one of the things in the book, so it doesn't apply to most freelancers, but it might apply to some, is as you grow the company and your revenue hits different um levels we alter the the percentages so uh, for uh, up to a quarter of a million dollars the profit percentage is five percent and the owner's pay percentage the standard ones are 50 percent so you put aside 50 percent of your income to pay yourself your salary but as you get to a bigger and bigger company those the, the ratio of those changes so you put more aside as profit and less as owner's pay And the reason behind that is because as the company grows, and this is assuming, obviously, that you're you're no longer just a solo freelancer, but you've got staff working for you and so on. So your role as an employee diminishes in importance, but your role as the business owner increases in importance. So by by altering the, the balance of how you're paying yourself, you're also reflecting the changes in your own business. And so it's it's all about I've used the words grown up before. It's a grown up way of looking at what you're doing. Um, but I think mm. that might be a bit mean, but it's, it's kind of yeah. it's kind of the right sort of idea. It definitely feels like a more mature way of looking at your business, looking at your finances. It's not just how you got started. It's uh, it's recognizing the growth, the change and the development that happens. And I guess, yeah, putting on your grown up business pants. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I think a lot of freelancers maybe 
um, they, they think of themselves as business, business owners as in like, hey, I've hung out my shingle. But that role of shareholder, I don't think of as something a lot of freelancers out of the gate really reason about at all. You know, I've I've created this business and maybe they're reasoning about themselves as the operator of the business, not really the owner of the business. In a sense, like creating the ideal job, like optimizing for the business they would want to be an employee of, not necessarily the business they would want to own. So, uh, yeah, that seems but like that, a pretty... Again, that comes back to the... the um, and this is this touches on all the other stuff like your, your e-myth and everything like that is all the different roles that you have when you when you're a freelancer, if you just want to be the operator, if you just want to be the technician, you might as well have a job because you want you want to do the doing all the time. But to be successful and to have a decent lifestyle as a freelancer, you have to do all the other stuff as well. So profit first is just making your cash flow reflect the fact that you're doing all those other things. I like that framing of it too. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, you know, even, even as a sole proprietorship or whatever the equivalent is in the different countries around the world <laughs> that may be listening to this, um, it, you can still use that framework and that methodology, even if you're not like, even if you don't have, let's say, uh, if you're not incorporated, but like you can still use the profit to reflect that role that you are still operating as a business, even if it is a sole proprietorship. Absolutely, yeah, because you still have to pay tax. You still have to have a reserve put aside in case of hard times. So, yeah, it all amounts to the same stuff. I've stopped doing it now, but I did for a little while run Profit First on my personal finance as well, but I set up categories like going on holiday and saving for a new car and so on. And it just, it worked. And then um, I went on holiday and spent all the money. So. Tell us a bit more about, I guess, the overall idea of resilience within a business and how Profit First connects to it. Is it as simple as you now have more control over your finances or does it touch on, I guess, internal feelings of self-worth or confidence that, oh, the business is durable? I guess, where do you see resilience come up? So on on the surface, the resilience comes because part of the, the point of your profit allocation is it gives you that buffer. You're building up um your runway so if for whatever reason you didn't have any income for a couple of months you've got something to to fall back on so that's that's the obvious bit of the resilience of the business but you're right it's it's all about the internal feelings it's about how you see yourself and your position within the business and that's why the the shareholder bit is so important because it's all about migrating from being the person who's running around doing all the work, answering the phones all the time and completely stressed out to being the business owner who is sat on a yacht having a margarita. Good thing to aspire to. Good, I guess, growth to aspire to as a business owner. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for anybody that's listening and they're wondering, hey, what? how does a profit first coach plug into this? What benefit does working with a coach add? What would you say to them? What, I guess, would you point to as the benefits of working with a coach? So it's, it's kind of the, the benefits of working with a coach. The, the number one thing for me is um, it's about the accountability. So if you, one of the things I love about coaching as opposed to mentoring. So mentoring is obviously you're relying on someone's experience and guidance. So they can tell you the stuff that you don't know, you don't know. Whereas coaching there's obviously a lot of crossover with that, but coaching is more about asking you the right questions so you can find the answers within yourself. 
But once you've found those answers, it's what are you going to do with those answers? Are you going to make a difference to yourself now that you've learned that? Or are you just going to sit on it and stay where you are? And so the accountability part of coaching is one of the things that I think is really, really important. It's this is what you've said needs to happen. Now let's make sure that it actually does happen. I like that you touched on it. So part of it is, I guess, the follow-up. Part of it is the accountability. Part of it is just having this other person who you know every week or two weeks or a month will say, hey, you wanted to do this thing. Have you done that thing yet? If not, what barriers have popped up? And helping them get over it rather than just saying, I guess, to switch metaphors, burners are hot. Don't touch it once the kettle comes off. (laughs) Instead, you know, make sure we turn it off. Make sure we're doing the proper systems around our business or in the kitchen. So one of my first clients... um, and it was a it was a very different version of my current program that I was running with her. But one of the things I used to do was we so we built a twelve week plan, and that's still part of what I do. And we would break it down. So these this is where you want to be at the end of three months. And so on week one you're going to do this. On week two you're going to do this, and so on and so on and so on. And her 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 problem as it were was she was very all over the place so she she couldn't focus on one thing at a time and the fact that she I used to get my VA to to go through her list of tasks and ring her up on a Friday morning and say you said you were going to do this did you do it and just the fact that she knew she was going to get that phone call meant that when she was in that state where do I do this or do I do that she focused on what her business needed rather than what she wanted to do at that moment. And she might do what she wanted to do later on, but she always made sure she got the important stuff done first. Makes a ton of sense. And I love that as an example of sort of the value of a coach, being able to, you know, have that person on your team, bring them up, say, do this next, or have you done this thing? It's sort of the 1% that provides 90% of the value in any coaching relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a very simple thing and it's not a, time-consuming thing it's just it's it's um it's just knowing that you've got someone there on your shoulder switching tracks for a little bit uh uh, so for somebody listening that says hey i've enjoyed this conversation i've enjoyed boz's answers what's the first step for me to get started with profit first what would you what are the first one or two steps you recommend them take what should they do once they finish listening to this so the easiest thing to do is to take a look at the book and see if it's for you. Um, because again, so one of the things with it, it is the, and my approach to it as well is very, very step-by-step, step, quite methodical. To, uh, so we have uh, 20 days and you have like 15 minute tasks, one per day, just to get to the the, the baseline sort of set up. Um, so it is quite a, a slow way of doing it. There are other Profit First coaches. There are other coaches out there who are aware of Profit First but aren't certified in the method. And they will have a different way of doing it. So when I started out, I did it much more uh, the way a, a traditional coach would do it, which is I'm gonna we're going to have a meeting every two weeks and we'll sit down for an hour and go and we'll just – it would be very, very unstructured and we talk about it. And I stopped doing that because it didn't feel like me because of who I am but I can for some people that's the way they want to do stuff they want it to be a bit less structured and they just want to have that that little bit of um, more leeway in how things are done so it's a matter of finding the right coach for you to that extent um, so obviously, yeah, not, I, I don't expect everyone to want to work with me <laughs> <laughs> that means you've got good positioning <laughs> not everybody <Yeah>. should <laughs> 
If somebody is listening to this and says, oh, but, you know, you saying Boz might not be for you makes me want to work with him even more. <laughs> where should they go to find out a little more about you or just see uh, uh, how your services or your knowledge might be able to help them on their journey? So uh, if you go to clientrobot.com slash program, that is where you can download my whole program. So as I say, I, I give the whole thing away because the actual questions that I ask you Although they're important for setting up your baseline, they're not the value in what I give you. So you can go away and you can go through that and you can obviously read the book as well and then put the two together and you can figure out if I'm the right person for you to do it, do it with. Wonderful. Uh, Meg, Eric, any other questions come to mind on your side? We've, we've touched on everything I had wanted to and more. This has been great. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Baz, for, for all the Fantastic. knowledge. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I don't have anything else uh, that comes to mind. Well, then let's flip over to uh, one of our favorite segments. Let's talk about our picks. What uh, resources, books, tools out there we recommend for our dear listeners. And uh, uh, Boz, I think you brought something in you wanted to tell people about. So if you're cool with kicking it off. Uh, so, um, well, there's, there's a couple of things. So one is, um, Eric, you touched on it right at the start, which is it's very easy to sort of get drawn off in a different direction. You hear, listen to a podcast and you think, oh, I need to get a VA or something like that. That's always been my problem. So I've stopped listening to as many podcasts as I used to because I just got too many ideas and I'd go off in different directions. So one of the things I'm doing with my reading at the moment is um, I'm sticking very, very closely to Mike Mikhailovitz because of the Profit First stuff, because I don't want to get distracted myself. But I absolutely love his book Clockwork, which is kind of the next step in that business owner journey, which is all about um, figuring out what your processes are, what your standard operating procedures are, and then delegating them to other people so that you can do, you can concentrate on the bits that you love doing and they can do the bits that you don't like doing. And the, the key concept in there is there's a difference. Most people delegate tasks to other people, which is fine and it saves you time. But as soon as something varies from the instructions that you've given them, even the slightest, they come back to you and ask you to make a decision. And making a decision in isolation is really, really hard. It's very easy if you're doing the work and you have to make the decision, then you can, it's dead easy to do. But if you're making the decision because someone's asked you because they're halfway through a task, it's very, very difficult. And that's why so many people hire a VA or hire some, someone to help them out. And then they go, actually, I might as well just do it myself because they get asked for all these decisions. So the next step is to delegate the decision-making. And that's really, really scary. But if you can, if you can get, the, get it done right, then that's when you become liberated from all the stuff that you hate doing. And so that's what Clockwork's all about. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's been on my to-read list forever. I'm definitely going to have to bump it up in the stack. <laughs> Meg, how about yourself? Uh, any picks for this week? Yeah, I was sort of thinking about like what uh, to, to recommend this week and not so much a specific service or product, but just as uh, if people listening out there haven't yet gotten some sort of financial professional for their business. Uh, I know my, one of my first, I think my very first thing that I paid somebody else to do for my business was an accountant. So uh, that's the like, you know, if, if you're not using, if you're just doing everything yourself, my Lord, uh, like I think the next step up is then moving to something like profit first and, you know, getting some, you know, more 
maybe even financial, you know, somebody who can help you with your planning and things like that. But at the very bare minimum, get yourself an accountant. Um, it, I went from spending so much time on my taxes <laughs> each year to, to, to just being so grateful for paying hundreds of dollars to say, please just take, make this problem <laughs> done for me. <laughs> so uh, that's what I would recommend if uh, dear, you, dear listener, do not yet have an accountant, get the one. <laughs> To use phrasing that I've heard Kai use before, get the get the an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, how about yourself? Any uh, top of mind picks this week? Sure, I'll, I'll do two things that I guess are thematically adjacent, um, especially when it comes to this dual role of like shareholder and and employee number one. Uh, the first came up in the discussion, uh, but I'll call it out explicitly as a good book to read. The uh, E Myth Revisited. Um, that talks about your different like personas in starting a business and how important it is to sort those out um, and cast yourself in these different roles and recognize when you're in those roles. And then the other one I had kind of mentioned, I'm writing this series. So I'll do a self plug just for this blog post series that I'm writing that is also about um, if you're a freelancer, you're a business owner and an employee. And how do you kind of sort those out? And for a lot of newbie freelancers, it's just recognizing that you are a business owner and not just like creating this sort of employment uh, paradigm. So uh, those are my picks. Excellent. All great picks. And you'll find them in uh, the show notes, dear listener. And two of mine, not on topic, but top of mind. I recently started rereading uh, Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, excerpts from interviews he's had on his podcast. And on the recommendation of my friend, Mike J, I just ordered Tribe of Mentors, and I'm excited to read through them. So both are definitely skimmable, lots of great uh, chapters highlighting different information and different people. So if you're looking for something to read, they're definitely books that I'd suggest. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Business of Freelancing. We hope you enjoyed it. If you're curious about how Boz could help you on your journey, please check out the show notes where he have links to his program and the resources and books he recommended. And as always, if you have any feedback or a comment, feel free to write us a message and send it on in and let us know your thoughts. You could find instructions on that in the show notes as well. Until next time, 